This is episode 80 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled Wacky Lawsuits. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. It sometimes seems as though on this podcast, I'm always defending the employees and talking about how terrible employers are. We're going to change that up today, and we're going to talk about some uh, strange and weird employment cases uh, that were actually filed. They're real. And this is brought to us by Stephanie Vaudroy, who is with the law firm of Liebert, Cassidy, and Whitmore. And I have reached out to Stephanie and hope to get her on the show at some point to talk about these annual roundup of employment cases that she writes about. This one's going to take us back to 2018, and she titles this one, The Thing That Happened on the Way to Jurassic Park. And she opens up with a history of of dinosaurs, winged lizards. Uh, So she explains that they were... Uh, around for about 35 million years, uh, but that there's not been a living pterodactyl in 65 million years, or maybe there has, because she reports that a woman named Nancy Barnett sued FedEx for gender discrimination after she was fired. And she claimed that while she was on her route, uh, a pterodactyl hit her truck. And although she didn't immediately report the pterodactyl encounter, She continued on her route, and eventually the window uh, shattered into the vehicle. And uh, apparently the pterodactyl was actually an automatic gate of a housing subdivision. And the police received a report of a FedEx driver smashing into the gate entrance. And the truck looked like, in fact, it had been hit by an automatic gate. Uh, But before Barnett was approached by law enforcement, she told her dispatcher at FedEx that her truck had been hit by a pterodactyl. And then she eventually was terminated, and she claimed then that she was being discriminated against because of her gender. And her theory was that male employees aren't fired for accidents. Of course, Stephanie here points out that also male employees don't claim that an extinct flying dinosaur caused the damage to their vehicle. Her lawsuit was ultimately unsuccessful. Now, Stephanie points out that uh, Barnett was not alone. Uh, She says that there were 161 pterodactyl sightings in the United States in 2017, and most of them were in Utah and Oklahoma. I guess that's where they uh, continue to live. But unfortunately for Barnett, she lived in Florida, so made her story less likely. Here's another crazy one. Uh, Stephanie titles this one, He wasn't on the way to White Castle when he stopped to feed the grizzlies. Uh, Here's an employee whose job it is to feed grizzly bears, which already sounds pretty exciting on a podcast about work. Uh, But he decided to get stoned before he went into work that day. Uh, She says you... 
You might think the employer would not be liable when the grizzly bear attacks uh, the employee who's high. Uh, but that actually wasn't the case. This was a workers' comp case from Montana, and the employer owned a grizzly bear park where people could drive through and look at grizzly and black bears. And the employee, who's actually deemed to be an employee and not a volunteer, admitted that he'd been uh, smoking dope before he went to work the morning of the grizzly bear attack. And while he was feeding the grizzlies, as he had done before, many times before, he was attacked and injured. And so the Montana, Montana Supreme Court agreed that the employee was entitled to compensation for his injuries. And the uh, ruling of the court is, quote, I cannot conclude based on the evidence before me that the major contributing cause of the grizzly bear attack was anything other than the grizzly. It is not as if this attack occurred while the employee inexplicably wandered into the grizzly pen while searching for the nearest white castle. The employer was not quite let, let off the hook. Uh, his marijuana use uh, did indicate that probably working around grizzly bears that day was ill-advised, uh, according to this ruling, to say the least, and mind-boggling stupid, to say the most. And so... Uh, Stephanie points out that, hey, if you have a job like feeding grizzly bears, it's probably not a good idea to be high at work. This one is just amazing to me. And I won't read the heading because it gives too much away. Okay, so in this lawsuit uh, filed by an employee of a one-on-one -on -one education call center, the plaintiff alleged he was injured in the course of his employment by his supervisor's unorthodox motivational methods. Okay, according to this guy, his supervisor would draw mustaches with permanent marker on employees' faces and take away their chairs if they didn't meet their performance goals. And the same super supervisor was also known to walk around the office slamming a wooden paddle on desks, which brings back memories of elementary school to me, and tabletops in an apparent effort to, quote, motivate employees. But the last straw for this employee, this plaintiff, occurred when he, quote, volunteered for a new motivational exercise. And the plaintiff claimed that his participation was based upon his supervisors challenging the team's loyalty and determination. What the plaintiff didn't realize that he was agreeing to participate in an exercise of waterboarding. This is just incredible to me. And the plaintiff was held down by other team members while the supervisor poured water over his mouth and nose so he couldn't breathe. The plaintiff complained to HR, go figure, which he said did nothing about the situation, so he quit. And then Stephanie says, uh, you know, maybe these types of methods uh, would be best left outside of the workplace. Finally, the last one here for 2018 uh, this was a case brought against the New York State Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation. And a lifeguard claimed he was discriminated against because of his age and gender when he was denied requalification as a lifeguard. And according to him, he refused to wear a Speedo-type swimsuit and wanted to wear a more modest swimsuit, you know, more like bike shorts. And he alleged the refusal to qualify him based on the type of swimsuit he wore was discrimination based on his age. He was 57 and his gender, male. 
Uh, Stephanie says, this case raises interesting questions about dress codes for applicants. Yeah, so the plaintiff had previously worked as a lifeguard. It was seasonal employment, and he had to reapply each summer, as is common. So then her question is, how far can an employer go with respect to what an applicant may wear? And maybe he should have been allowed to wear his swimsuit of choice during the application process, but then companies can impose uh, dress codes on their employees, and maybe after that they could have required him to wear what the employer wanted him to wear. And Stephanie doesn't tell us how this case turned out. Maybe it's still under review. All right, from 2016. So this is a great one for California. Um, So a former employee in New Jersey sued her employer for wrongful termination after she requested an accommodation for her disability. Now, her disability is really cool. It's an inability to drive in rush hour traffic due to anxiety and depression. And according to her, her condition was aggravated by heavy rush hour traffic. (laughs) Stephanie says, I think we can all relate. So when this employee asked for a schedule that would allow her to avoid rush hour, saying, you know, she needed an accommodation because of her disability, the company actually approved shorter workdays, which is an interesting twist in this case, which Stephanie will, will talk about later. Not long after the company agreed to accommodate the employee, she got a poor performance review and a demotion and ultimately was terminated. Now, uh, Stephanie says, oddly, you know, because of these circumstances, she may have had a case if she was able to prove retaliation or disability discrimination. Uh, But based on the employer's decision to accommodate her, Stephanie says it's reasonable to infer that the employer accepted that she was disabled or regarded her as disabled. So this is interesting. She says in California, when an employer, quote, regards an employee as disabled, it has the same legal effect as if the employee actually was disabled. And the employee then can sue for, among other things, disability discrimination and failure to accommodate. So very interesting. We don't know how this case turned out, um, but it's got some interesting legal nuances. Um, But yeah, I think we, before you decide to appeal to your employer to accommodate your disability and your disability is your inability to sit in rush hour traffic, you might want to check and see how this case turned out um, just to see whether or not there's precedence for what you're trying to do there. Okay, this next one is about dune buggies, uh, which Stephanie says dune buggies still exist and consist of large wheels, wide tires, and are for use on sand dunes. Yet Stephanie might not get out too much because, yeah, dune buggies are definitely a thing in the desert. All right, and then she also says alcoholic beverages may impair your ability to drive. Newsflash. Okay, so she says a, quote, traveling employee is covered by workers' comp in all places when they're traveling for work, right? Makes sense. If an employee is pursuing normal creature comforts and reasonably comprehended necessities, he may be covered. But if he engages in strictly personal amusement ventures, he's left the scope of employment. You can see where this is going. So when an employee got injured after he wrecked a dune buggy while driving um, intoxicated, his workers' comp was denied because driving a dune buggy while intoxicated is not a normal or reasonably comprehended necessity during travel work. Stephanie says, go figure. 
All right. This next one is that the National Labor Relations Board ruled that a company couldn't have a policy that required employees to, quote, maintain a positive work environment by communicating in a manner that is conducive to effective working relations. Interesting. The union complained that the policy was too broad and vague and would inhibit employees from complaining about working conditions. And the NLRB struck down the rule uh, because they felt that it might restrict potentially controversial or contentious communications and discussions because employees may fear that the employer would deem such discussions, discussions to be inconsistent with a positive work environment, which is interesting. However, it's not to be confused with the employer's right to have work rules that prohibit insubordination or a negative attitude that is disruptive to the workplace. So kind of a balance there is what I'm hearing, right? That you can't insist people to be permanently cheerful and upbeat, but nor do you have to put up with really extreme and disruptive negativity. All right, and this this one uh, brought back memories for me. I'll explain in a minute. So uh, Stephanie says, this is an important tip for employees. Don't tell your employer that you are unable to stand, sit, kneel, squat, climb, bend, reach, or grasp, but then spin the big wheel on the price is right, twice. So a formal poster worker who had been on workers' comp for several years before her appearance on The Price is Right raised her arm above her head, grabbed the wheel, and sent it spinning. And Stephanie says that she hopes she won some prizes because she's going to need them after she pled guilty to workers' comp fraud. And uh, Stephanie says she also probably shouldn't have gone ziplining while on a cruise. Uh, Stephanie cautions us, workers' compensation fraud is serious, and employers should be proactive in working with the claims administrators to recognize potential fraud. And I once had a friend who worked as a private detective to detect cases like this of workers' comp fraud, and there were many, many, many. He developed a very negative attitude toward people who uh, claimed workers' comp because he encountered so many cases where people just lied about what they were capable of, and then he would catch them you know, in their spare time. Um, away from work, just doing all kinds of crazy things that they claimed that they weren't capable of doing. So, you know, it was an, it was a window into a certain mentality and approach to workers' comp, right? We're not all the same, it turns out. All right, here's another one. And Stephanie says, an employee's argument unbelievably has come down to this. Oh, this one's a little bit um, off color. Um, but maybe you'll enjoy it since it's Friday. Okay, so employers are entitled to receive a legal defense from a public agency employer if they acted within the scope of employment, okay? Uh, So when a jail guard thought it would be funny to serve a penis-tainted sandwich to an inmate, he was subsequently sued by the offended inmate. But the guard right? Demanded that his employer provide him with a legal defense in the lawsuit. Okay. So how did he argue this? So the guard said it was common for jokes and pranks to occur in the jail. And while it wasn't condoned, such acts weren't discouraged. And so the guard said, he's just playing one of those quote jokes and pranks. When he took the sandwich, opened it, 
had another inmate place his, you know what, in the sandwich, photographed it, and then served a sandwich to a different inmate. And then (laughs) Stephanie says, the genius then showed the photograph to the inmate who had eaten the sandwich. Hilarious, right? Uh, The guard also claimed that he was entitled to a defense because he was acting within the course and scope of his employment by giving the sandwich to the inmate. Well, the court didn't agree, saying that although serving food to inmates is part of the job, job duties. The meal served was one plainly unauthorized by the employer and obviously outside of his authorized duties. All right. I think I'm going to have to stop there. But Stephanie has plenty more. And if she does come on the show, we'll enjoy talking about these with her. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. In keeping with the new year, we'll be changing our format somewhat as the show has evolved. We'll continue to address work-related problems, but in our second year, we'll be going beyond just an advice show to talk about work trends, labor laws, economics, interesting companies, as well as pranks, bad bosses, and more screw-ups at work. If you have a question about a work-related issue or a comment about the show, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website discreetguide.com. That's D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T. And at that website, you can also sign up for The Pergola, a digital publication that comes out every other month, and get information about training programs, books, consulting sessions, articles, jokes, and resources, all for us to work better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces. And thanks for listening. New shows will be available every Tuesday and sometimes Friday. Tune in so you can hear more about trouble at work.